You're listening to No Lies Radio, coming to you 24-7 from the San Francisco Bay Area, north of Berkeley. Your radio station for the truth, peace, justice, freedom, and more power to the people. Welcome to PSI Saturday, Explorations and Paranormal Research. Today, Gene Steinberg and David Biedney of theparacast.com interview paranormal author and psychic researcher John Zaffis. Since John specializes in life after death and ghost-related encounters, you'll hear a wealth of information about investigative techniques and, of course, results. Today's show is broadcast courtesy of theparacast.com. You can listen to the latest show from theparacast.com, broadcast every Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, and on Mondays at 0200 hours GMT. Go to theparacast.com to listen. And now, on to today's show. So, Gene, you know that I watch Ghost Hunters, right, on the Sci-Fi Channel? Well, it may be one of the few shows left because of the writer's strike. I guess so. They don't need anybody to write their stuff. Not that anybody seems to. But uh, I go over to my girlfriend's house, and um, I watch this with her kids, usually. We, we watch the show, and sometimes it's interesting. Sometimes it's a little goofy. Uh, I have issues with some of the technical abilities of Jason and Grant and their team. And, of course, we tried getting them on the show more than a few times. I've sent those guys emails, and they've never responded. You know, we're not toast-to-toast. Well, George Smorey. Welcome to Toast to Toast. Anyway, so the other no day... No toast, no bagels, no show. But you got no locks, no spread. There's nothing to spread on. What are you talking about? Right, right on. Not like you know what bagels are in Arizona. <clears throat> anyway, don't even start with, oh, we have bagels in Arizona. You have no water. You live in the desert, dude. You know that, right? I live in the desert. I eat in the desert. I drink water in the desert. You know, I get yeah. my water from Nestle or Snapple or whatever. Oh, there you go. Water by Menon. Sometimes I even wonder if you're listening to me when I speak to you, James. I do all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so uh, we're watching Ghost Hunters, and the Grant character, or is it Jason? I always get those guys mixed up. The bald one. He, he brings a guy on the show he says he's known for years, who he sometimes brings into the tough cases, this guy John Zaffis. And uh, I thought he was really interesting. And so, you know, God bless the Internet. I get right on the net. As, I'm, as we're watching the show, I grab my laptop. And I look up his name, and boom, johnzaffis.com. There he is, a guy who's been involved in paranormal stuff for a lot of years, a long time. And turns out, in fact, he's uh, well-connected in the family department. And uh, I sent him an email, and then I called him up because his phone number is listed on his website. Bad move, John. So I called him up, and very nice guy. I said, hey, you should come on our show, and uh, we'll, we'll talk dirt about uh, Jason and Grant. Well, no, that's not really what I said. Gene, are you there? I am there. I think you were doing that just to kind of get me to right. be alert. That's right. I, I heard I, everything you said. Who are you, sir? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. That's right. Yeah. I'm here on behalf of Dell Computer. Uh, no, I'm sorry. That's the wrong show. I always do that. Anyway, I spoke to John, and uh, he seemed very friendly, and he said he'd come on the show. So I figured, hey, let's have him on to talk about his experiences in researching, specifically hauntings. That seems to be his specialty. Uh, in fact, it appears that he runs an organization called the Paranormal Research Society of New England. So he's got to have good stories, right? Well, let's have some ghost stories coming up next on the Paracast. 
You are the therapist with Jesus and with David the Eddie. You never know what's going to happen next. John, uh, we originally found out about you because I was watching Ghost Hunters, and they brought you on to discuss a tough case. So obviously you've been doing this stuff for a long time. Why? Why Why are you interested in this topic? Is this something that has affected your personal life? Probably. I mean, I grew up in the paranormal realm hearing about it, and it is something that's always intrigued me. When I was about 15, 16, I had an experience where I had a... Um, black shadow form, transparent, if you will, standing at the foot of my bed. And at that point in time, I really started thinking about it and started probing into the different things, looking into it, reading everything that I could. We didn't have the Internet back then. And it intrigued me. And the more I got involved with it, the more I was studying, the more I realized that there was a heck of a lot more out there than most of us were really exposed to. And the more I got involved, the more questions and the more things I tried to understand. And then about 20 years ago, took it a step farther because I wanted to know, do people really get possessed? Never seen anybody's head spin around, haven't seen any green pea soup, and I still haven't seen that yet. But it's an intriguing thing. It's mind-boggling. And our quest for trying to understand uh, the afterlife I think today is more out in the forefront, and we're still searching and looking for some of the key answers on to what the heck happened after we leave the physical body. Do you think that we're intellectually equipped to deal with the understanding of this topic? This is something we talk about in the show all the time, which is can our brains even potentially conceive of these topics in a way that would give us any answers, or is it, a, is it the kind of situation where... I know in, in our many talks about these topics on the Paracast, it often feels like we're going in circles. And trying to get real answers to these questions is very difficult. Now, obviously, you had a personal experience, and um, I also have had a number of personal experiences in this realm that lead me to believe that we don't have the whole picture. But do you think it's possible for us, with the limitations of our minds, to really get a grasp of this topic? In dealing with so many different people, in the category going from the scientific to the spiritual realm, can a lot of people actually handle some of the things that are actually known? No. Right, right. Because it would open up the doors to things that would alter things and change things, to uh, a comprehension that would really make people not be able to, to cope. And I'm a firm believer in that. When I started getting involved with this and started delving into these different things and some of the things that are proven out and some of the things that aren't proven out scientifically it could be something that people can't comprehend and people aren't really going to get a good grasp of a lot of the different things that exist why they exist why things were put into play the way they were you know over the course of many many years is very mind-boggling but if a lot of things i do firmly believe in this and I feel that if certain things were revealed, it would alter people to a point where they wouldn't be able to handle certain things. Like what? Give us an example. It's things I don't even like going into because then I end up hearing about it. But, I mean, it's just where things would alter people to a point where they're not going to understand it. Don't get me wrong. The doors are more open now. People are questioning things. People are looking at things from a, a spiritual perspective and a paranormal perspective. 
and I think there's a better understanding of it today than there ever was before. I mean, over the past three to four years, the whole paranormal field has exploded with people researching and from, you know, a spiritual perspective and a scientific approach, which is a phenomenal thing. Do you feel that those two realms can reconcile themselves? I mean, because we always run into this problem where you tend to have this polarization of viewpoints where you have people who are coming at it from a religious viewpoint. It's it, night and day. There's no two ways about it. I feel there's been more here again from a spiritual or a religious perspective. The accomplishments that are being, you know, happening today, the doors are a lot more open with a lot of your religious figures. And, you know, I'm not just talking about mainstream religion. A lot of perspectives as I look at it, because I work with a lot of different people with the belief systems, are a little bit more open to understanding some of the different things and realizing what people are up against, what people are going through, and they're being a little bit more open. And it's taken a long time just to get here, to where we are today, if you will. Now, we see more and more on TV talk about this, but there's still that disconnect that people who talk about ghosts and psychic research in general are still looked upon as kooks. You know, the major news media looks upon the things that David and I talk about here, well, these are just crazy, wacky people. At the same point, the average public, the general public, is taking it more and more seriously. They have the experiences to go back on. Today you hear more and more. What I find intriguing with a lot of this, too, is talking to older people that had experiences as they were children or they witnessed different things and they were always told, don't ever talk about it. And today you'll get people to talk about things that they were involved with or they had a haunting in their home as they were growing up or some of the most unique type situations. And it was always a forbidden topic. Why? Because families didn't want anyone knowing. They didn't want people thinking they were crazy or they were nuts. So I'm looking at it from that perspective. Look at the accomplishments. We got a heck of a way to go, but look at the accomplishments of what's been achieved today. And that's phenomenal. When I started, you know, you just didn't talk about it. There were many years I just didn't talk about doing the research or being involved with this work because of the criticism. Years back, also, you have to remember, too, anybody that was in the paranormal field, you were associated with, quote-unquote, devil worshiping. Mm. Now, today, it's a lot lighter than what it used to be. You'll get more people to talk to you and try to have an understanding of it and look at it from a little bit more of an open perspective than I've ever seen before. And here again, has a lot to do with the TV shows, has a lot to do with the radio shows, it has a lot to do with the Internet. has opened up a whole world to people at least reading and looking and keeping a little bit more of an open mind than we had five, six years ago. The major media can't as easily control the flow of information because there are so many independent venues to get this information from. Absolutely. Here again, too, you have to realize looking at things and the perspective of what I see when I get involved with different organizations or people that are doing research. There's, you know, numerous people from different perspectives, the uh, skeptical to the, the sensitive, to the scientific approach. And when you watch all these people pulling together, you're still going to have people saying, well, I don't believe this happened or that happened. But when you have documentation and you can't rule out something, you're looking at it from a paranormal perspective. And people are at least saying, okay, there's something 
and we don't understand it, we don't know exactly what it is, but we know that there's something we're dealing with. And, you know, the bottom line from a, a scientific approach is we know we deal with energy, and we know these energies can never be destroyed. They can manifest into different things. Now, here again, what's intrigued me more than anything is when you're dealing with the energies, whether it's positive or negative, and it has an intelligence, and it can manifest and do different things, that tells me to keep an open mind and look at things from a perspective. What are we exactly dealing with? How are we dealing with it? Why is it sometimes from a scientific approach we can get some of the activity to stop? Why from a religious perspective we can get some of it to stop? So you have to keep an open mind when looking at these things and the different theories and the things proven out that certain things can and will help situations, and in other situations, it doesn't. Looking at the religious framework here, mm -hmm. organized religion, Catholic mm -hmm. Church, Judaism, etc., even Muslims, how do they react in their own ways to psychic events of this sort? They look at it very openly when you're behind the scenes. And that's something over the past 20 years I was very fortunate to be involved with and integrate with a lot of it uh, and having an understanding of it, how the different religions look at it, how they perceive something to be on a negative level. And each and every religion that is out there has one way or another to do a clearing, a, a binding, you know, a deliverance or an exorcism. So when I got involved with that, that made me even take a step farther back where my research took me into understanding a lot of the different religious values and their perspective of it. And the bottom line is, here again, I walked away with the perspective of watching it and seeing it and some of the ceremonies and things that have been performed over the years, being able to help people. Here again, with the energies and the powers that get pulled together whether you want to call it from a perspective of a prayer or the harmony of different ceremonies that are done, why do these things work? Why are they successful? These are the big key things that we all look at and we try to understand what the philosophies are. And another thing, too, is I, I bring very much into the forefront today because, like we just said earlier in the show, you have a lot of criticism and you have a lot of areas that, you know, if you look at something from an open perspective, especially a religious perspective, you'll have the different religious figures go against each other. And to me, that defeats the purpose. And that's going to defeat what we're looking for, what we're searching for, to be able to get some of our answers. Because a lot of that is the key factors. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about our organized religions today. I'm going back years. I mean, when you look at paganism or Wiccan and, you know, all the different deities and the different things that these people were focused into and some of the information. And you can't rule all these things out today. Where did a lot of these things develop from? Where did they get a lot of this information from? I mean, they could not have had that type of vivid imagination thousands of years ago to come up with some of these things. What about the vision of God and the devil? Do you have any feeling about the reaction on the part of some people that these manifestations must be devil-related in some fashion? I keep an open mind with all of it. Do I firmly believe that we deal with deities and something on a demonic level? Yes, there's no doubt in my mind about that. And the manifestations sometimes can be brought on by people themselves. I mean, scientifically, PK is proven out. People can move things. They can cause things to happen. And that's another whole mystery, 
you know, we're just tapping into to understanding some of that. But when you take it a step farther and these people have, you know, information coming into them from, you know, the past, the present, and the future, and some of these things can be proven out, we know that there, there's links that tie people in together, whether you want to call it clairvoyance, psychically, or how some of the information intertwines is what I still find intriguing to this day. That's where the intelligence comes in, and I believe with the energies. And I look at this and I study all these things. I take it a step farther because, I mean, we go back thousands of years ago, and when you study some of the different things, the perspectives of things that were journalized, and you combine them with, you know, many years of different things that people have gone through, it's awful coincidental how some of those things do line up. Being a, a, an investigator, foremost, I'm a paranormal investigator. I study everything, and I keep a very open mind with absolutely everything that there is within our field. When we talk about this stuff, John, you just brought up a very interesting point that you keep an open mind about all of these areas, because one of the things that's pretty clear is that it seems like there's a serious amount of division between, for example, people interested in the afterlife versus people who are interested in human potential versus people who are interested in the UFO phenomenon. These things that in some ways seem to be completely separate. Do you feel that potentially we have a good amount of overlap between these different fields? I mean, is the study of paranormal topics a general area, or do you think that there is a purpose in specialization? Actually, I, I feel definitely when, when you're dealing with these three different categories, you know, you have to remember years ago when anybody was gifted or psychic or a medium, they were accused of devil worshiping. Right. Today we view that so differently. And we look at that, you know, from an open perspective. That category, just because somebody's getting information or they're gifted or psychic, doesn't mean I think it's all on a negative level or something that should be perceived that way. No. You have people that believe that, you know, devils, demons, deities, all these things don't exist. It's a manifestation within a person's own mind. And, you know, you keep an open mind, from my perspective, on watching these things and understanding some of these things. Has there been things over the course of years that I've changed my mind on that I always thought was negative? Absolutely. Why? Studying learning to understand the different perspectives on how people bring this information to the forefront. That's what's inquisitive. That's what keeps each and every one of us going is the, the quest of all these different things. They do overlap, but there is a big division. Now, UFOlogy, I have very good friends that are involved with that. I've listened to a lot of the different things, the case studies, and some of the parallels of uh, different things that happen with hauntings in comparison to what some people call the grays and the abductions and some of these other things. It's awful coincidental how these things do parallel. And here again, I'm an investigator. I don't rule anything out. I haven't had any grays show up or... I've never can actually say that I've seen anything that was really peculiar as far as a spacecraft or anything, but it's not anything I'm going to rule out. And you're not inviting any greys to come to your home right now? 
No, 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 thank you. No, wouldn't no, want no. that to happen. I don't think I'd no. want those creatures to come. But that's a point that I've also raised in some of the commentaries I do for the Powercast newsletter. I throw out my own personal comments, and, you know, David indulges me as he does, you know, because he thinks I'm some kind of old fart who... Oh, I, I usually agree with you on the stuff you put out in the newsletter. Oh, you no. do? Well, gee, but, I'm but feeling if I better. Did, you'd hear about it on the show. Oh, oh I'd hear about it on the show, on the phone, oh, yeah. by email, and I'd be... Oh, but, I'm, I know, I'm serious. Well, no, 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 seriously, just the fear issue and negativity. Now, John, this is a very interesting topic because when we talk about positive versus negative yes that seems just on its own it seems very polarized and also it seems like it's from a specific point of view and i'll give you an example when in the wild a creature eats another creature for survival if we're looking at the situation we wouldn't necessarily make a judgment call about whether or not the predator is evil or negative, we just basically say this is the cycle of life. Now, from the point of view of the prey, predator is clearly not a good thing for them. It's ending their life. So when we talk about, for example, uh, negative hauntings, we talk about you know, these demons, or in the Jewish religion, there's a term dibbik. It's related to that, you know, these, mm -hmm. these troublemakers, so to speak. When you have that kind of a, a delineation of negative, is that something that is can we even call it negative objectively or is this a subjective call it's a subjective call when dealing with all of these different things and you're looking at it you gotta be very open-minded and you have to have an understanding of the way these things interact with each other and here again i still always go back to the the same philosophy is that why is it when we're dealing with something on a human spirit haunting in comparison to something on a negative level, you're going to have a lot of variation. Now, when I say variation, you're going to have an intenseness to these, you know, more of a negative approach on the way the haunting is occurring. And I handle those investigations differently also. And the key factor with it is now when we deal with something on a negative, now I don't always necessarily think that when you're using the term negative that we're dealing with something, you know, on a, a demonic level. Because my theory today is if a person was mean and rotten and nasty as a, as a human being, well, they're going to be like that as a ghost. So I look at that open-mindedly with some of the characteristics and some of the things that are occurring within cases a key factor here is and i always chuckle about this today is well john they you find demons in every case you go in no i don't i am the very last person that's going to turn around and say we're dealing with something on a demonic level because it takes you time when you get involved with an investigation i find it very hard for anyone including myself to be able to go in and unless the circumstances are to that point where I'm gonna say okay we're dealing with a demonic haunting it takes time to talk to these people talk to people that live in the house people that have witnessed things I look at this from a very open perspective especially today when dealing with this stuff before I'm gonna turn around and say okay you're dealing with something on a demonic level You're on the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. And we're talking to a man who grew up <laughs> in psychic research, more or less. That's John Zaffis. And we're talking about now maybe demonic events, demonic symbolism, whatever. But, John, let, let's talk about this idea of the negative power. And now let's, and let's create this big, huge meta topic, which is this. 
if we assume that everything in the universe has purpose or has meaning, and I, I tend to think that is indeed the case, as we study more and more about the, the nature of nature, it does look like everything is interconnected. And on an intuitive level, that makes sense. So if we're talking about, let's say you have a house where there are these bad things happening, the reaction on the part of the people who are living there is one of intense fear. What we do know about fear is that fear is a great way to control people, certainly from the political point of view. It's the only way, and religious, exactly. Fear has been deployed for pretty much all of human history as a way to control people. Do we then assume for a moment, you know, assumptions, of course, are always dangerous, but in trying to understand this, you have people living in a house, and they're intensely afraid of what's going on. Is that fear that's being generated from them on the part of whatever this negative energy is, is that fear used to control people or is that fear a form of energy that these entities, whatever they are, seem to feed on? Or is it both? It's both. Um, I very much keep an open mind when dealing with that. That's something that I strive for today. And it is that all of us were taught as we were growing up you can't see it, you can't touch it, you fear it. So therefore, that's instilled within us. And if you have a haunting or anything that's occurring, one of the key factors with a lot of people today is when they're going through this, they're petrified, they're scared, they don't want to stay in their houses. And when I get into the conversations and I try to explain to some of these people, one of the key factors when you have any type of a haunting that's transpiring, the more scared you get, the more energy you throw off, the more these things are going to manifest. Mm -hmm. So when you learn to understand some of these things and you learn, you know, okay, I have this situation going on, i got to learn to understand it, and it's a key factor, that you will find a lot of times when you start talking to an individual and you start explaining some of these different things to them, you can get a lot of the activity to subside. But if you deal in a situation, which is very common amongst many people, is that once you have something, you know, that you're set on, or if you want, you're really stubborn, and you're not going to give in and take an open approach or an open mind to something, those types of situations intensify. So I, I, I try to keep an open mind with all that. I try to explain as much as I can when, when dealing with somebody with a haunting and try to get them to, you know, have an open sort of way of thinking at it. Because you got to remember, too, a lot of ways people were brought up, everything and anything is considered evil when you deal with the paranormal realm. So if I were an uber skeptic or uh, someone who had no belief in any of this and thought it was all bunk, right? of course, what I would say is what you're describing sounds like a psychological manifestation and projection. If someone is scared of something and then it seems to increase more and then if they sort of try to be calmer about it and try to not be scared of it, then it would seem to diminish the activity. That would almost suggest a form of psychological projection where as one is basically reining in the thoughts, they're reining in the activity as well. What would be your response? happen. And it does happen. You have to remember, when a person is scared from a, a psychological perspective, and can a person cause things to intensify, you know, subconsciously or consciously, is what we have to look at with the big picture. And that's where, you know, here again, the bottom line is whether or not 
a person has genuine paranormal activity occurring or it's a manifestation from the individual, that's a key factor when investigating. And sometimes that's a difficult call. But one thing with that is the more scared a person gets off, the more energy they're going to throw off. Thus, it's going to intensify something, whether it's psychological or paranormal. Okay. So now let's let's take that to the next step then. If we mm -hmm. have fear on one hand, then perhaps the diametric opposite of that is love. And for anybody who's a fan of the movie Donnie Darko, I'm not trying to be the Patrick Swayze character right now. Uh, let's just play a game for a moment. You have fear on one hand, you have love on another. Does that mean that then love or loving energy is an antidote to the fear? And here's the case I'm, I'm trying to sort of come to. You've got a, a house that seems to have a negative entity in it. Mm -hmm. Is the way to completely get rid of it to express love? Does that have an opposite, a diametrically opposite and opposing effect to the fear and hatred? Okay. I look at that from two perspectives. You can refer to it, and people can comprehend that from looking at it from a love perspective. But I look at it as certain people, we would handle it from that perspective and getting them to use that to their advantage. The other perspective that I look at it is going from a positive perspective. And when a person is very negative and they're always pulling themselves down and everything, they're going to pull in a lot of negative. So therefore, that all intertwine. So to answer your question, do I think on a positive or on a love end, it's going to help in those types of situations? Absolutely. But you have to look at that from an open perspective, especially today, because people view things so differently in the way they're going to handle something. It doesn't necessarily always mean that it could be a situation that's going to, you know, be the fix-all for a haunting. But I'll tell you what, it's one big major hurdle for people to get over. When you look at situations where there is activity in a home, for example. What are the general categories? Because we're talking about negative entities here, but of course, not all these things are negative. We have situations where there is no negativity. So let's try to create some generalized categories for this type of activity. I know that in, in, in doing my own research, it seems like there are these delineations between, let's say, a ghostly entity that has no idea of what's going on versus let's say, an entity that is actually interacting with its surroundings or with people in the surroundings. Mm -hmm. What are the major categories, if you would? The key factor with that is I have to look at everything. Here again, we know we're dealing with intelligence. We know we're dealing with things that can figure things out. So I'm going to keep an open mind when looking at that, if that makes sense to you. I have to get a better understanding of what is happening with those individuals. Is this person someone that's been involved with something or looking at things from such a, a wide open variety when dealing with these things? I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. When, you, when you're going into your categories, we have human spirit haunting. We have something on a negative level or the demonic, if you will. And can you have a combination? Yes. So. I look at it from all three angles. Another key factor with hauntings is that if you have people that are gifted or psychic or whatever you want to call them, those people, it's very difficult for them to understand that they're, they're tapping in to information and different things that they've never 
had any exposure to because they were always told not to do things like that. So they're very confused. So today, a lot of times, especially with kids, if kids are picking up on things and they're picking up on spirit activity or they have deceased relatives that might try to be communicating and everything, do I always think that's something on a negative level? Absolutely not. It depends when you're doing your research and your involvement with cases how you're going to perceive something and how you're going to look at it. Well, the other issue I worry about is how do you keep yourself detached from what's going on around you? What I've learned, and it's the only way I've ever been able to explain this, as I moved along and the more I got involved, the more scared I got. But the more people I talked to, the more I got involved with this and and opening up to different situations and getting a better understanding of it, I can walk away from everything and just shut it right off. And the best analogy I've ever came up with, it's almost being like a nurse or a doctor. After dealing with that for eight hours straight, those some of those people are able to just walk away and leave their job behind, and that's what I've learned to do. Now, because that's, I think, one thing that was raised actually in the UFO field, but it might have a resemblance, that if you run away from something, you invite its presence by your fear. And that was Absolutely. goes back to the love. You know, love was all we need, so if we love our ghosts, then our ghosts will ignore us or leave or something. Well, I wish it was that easy. <laughs> But, you know, here again is having an understanding of things. And as far as I'm concerned, it's always good to have a healthy respect for things. And it's also good to fear things because we don't understand everything. So to understand something and still have a fear factor of it, that's okay. But to understand something and try and comprehend it and you incorporate those, you'll learn to understand it and learn that there's so much that we haven't proven out today. If that makes any sense to you, that that's one of the philosophies that I abide by when dealing with a lot of these things. Because I'm, you know, here again, it's a situation just like we said earlier. There's so much division within the the paranormal realm on the way people view things and look at things. But again, I've noticed over the past couple of years, people have opened up into trying to at least understand some of the different uh, perspectives and categories of things that we get involved with. One of the big complaints that we make in the UFO field is just that, that you have all these various points of view and people can't seem to get together. They can't get along. Everybody has their own turf. You have the turf war. And, of course, nothing ever gets done. In UFO research, I don't think anything's really progressed more than a modicum in 30, 40 years at least. Now, in psychic research in general, ghost hunters, let's talk about ghost hunters. Do you feel you guys are getting a better handle on what's going on? Absolutely, because there's a lot more communication. And uh, yes, is there turf uh, wars that go on? Uh, unbelievable. But, you know, this something that I strive for because I try to get everybody to open up and uh, try to get different people to talk. And I've seen it more accessible and more open than I've ever seen it before. And, you know, a big, you know, hand of applause to this is Tapsis has been able to do that. They've been able to break down some of the barriers with some of the things that happen within the field. And a lot of other organizations out there, the same thing. Because I intermingle with people all over the place and getting them to at least talk or go to different conferences and bring up the different topics and the different ways we handle things, I never thought I'd ever see that happen. 
and it's happening today. So when we talk about the idea that you guys have made strides and getting some real understanding of this, what are some of the things that you feel you're comfortable saying in an absolute way? What are the, some of the, if I came to you and said, all right, what do you know about, for example, a home is haunted? Why is that home haunted? How did it get to be that way? What are these things? Are, are these necessarily people who, for example, lived in the home and died? Because something that's always struck me, John, is that when people get messages, for example, when uh, there's a medium and a medium speaks to someone who is supposedly the deceased relative of the person who sought the medium out, I wonder, well, okay, how do you differentiate between what might be a genuine communication from a deceased relative or what might be a trickster, as it were. A, a, okay. a, a, I mean, how do you differentiate between... It, it's, it's one of the easiest things in the world to do. Do I believe everybody that's out there that is mediums and psychics and everything are legit? Absolutely not. When, when you're dealing with a person that is gifted and they're going to do a psychic reading on you or something and... They're trying to pull information out of you. I don't give that person too much credibility. And you want to sit there and you want to read me, knock your socks off, but you better come up with information that nobody knows about. Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. that's how I judge things, and that's how I look at things. If you're just going to come up and tell me, oh, Aunt Tilly wants to talk to you, I'll go, yeah, big deal. But I, I look for substantial types of things, substantial information that's going to come through. Does it always be, have to be 100% accurate? No, no. But I always look for those, those scenarios and those types of things when people are doing communications or people are establishing trying to help a spirit or there, there's some type of information that's going to come through. So, I mean, you know, here again, it, it's just like anything within our, our realm of work, our, our field, I take everything and I look at it. I'm, I'm very cautious. You know, I work with anybody. I believe in giving people, you know, plenty of opportunity. And does it? do I always feel that a psychic or a medium is going to be 100% on all the time? No. No, I don't. But there's times they are. Let me refine the question. Okay, let's say you have uh, someone who you feel is a good medium. Mm -hmm. And this person is telling you, all right, I'm getting a message from your Uncle Fred, and your Uncle Fred says A, B, and C. Now, if there is a negative entity, mm -hmm. is it not possible that that negative entity is masquerading as your deceased relative, and that negative entity has access to information that only you and Uncle Fred would have and passes that off to you mm -hmm. as, okay, so now there's this negative entity, and it's making for, believe for a moment, that it is your deceased Uncle Fred. And now it's telling the medium things that only you and Uncle Fred know. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's doing this because it feels that you have power that it wants. And so it's going to fool you into believing that this is actually your Uncle Fred. And now it's going to have you do things that fulfill its agenda. How do you, see, I guess that's more of my question. How do you sort of delineate between what is a genuine, potentially, communication from a deceased relative, and what's a negative entity trying to play games with you? We're thrilled that you're listening to this archived episode of the Paracast. If you want to hear the latest shows, 
click on over to www.theparacast.com. You can also join in on the most intelligent and dynamic discussions on our forums regarding all of the topics we discuss on the Paracast. So remember, www.theparacast.com. We'll see you there soon. You're listening to No Lies Radio, coming to you 24-7 from the San Francisco Bay Area, north of Berkeley. Your radio station for the truth, peace, justice, freedom, and more power to the people. You're in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. John Zappas, psychic researcher, joins us. He has over 30 years of experience studying and investigating the paranormal. So what about Uncle Fred? You always take everything that occurs or happens when you're getting any type of a communication. You mm-hmm. take that as you would with anything else you're doing. You take that information and you wait to see what's going to happen. You keep yourself very guarded. Because is there a possibility you're being tricked? Absolutely. And that's something that I've never ruled out. And I never will rule that out because there's too many connections for these different types of scenarios to occur and happen because they do happen. So I always take all the information, wait to see what's happening, watch what's happening. And is there been times where I felt that there's been negative information that there, or a trickster or whatever you want to call it has been playing head games and was able to give me information from situations they should not have that access to because I didn't think it was Uncle Fred? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I always tell people, take the information. I wouldn't, I, I'm not one to react on anything very fast to begin with because I always like to wait to see how things prove and out. And normally, if there are situations where you are being tricked and sometimes you throw out certain questions or things like that, it will confuse a negative entity or spirit that's trying to come through. And that's, that's a key factor that I do very often. And then from there I could usually tell what we're dealing with and why is this information coming through. Okay. Now let's bring this back to some of the cases that, that you've looked at in your years of, of research, John. You go into a situation, you find that there is indeed an entity that for some reason is interacting with people in the home. Mm-hmm. And it often seems like if there's a younger person, that that younger person ends up being a focal point for the activity. Why do you think that's the case? Very common. You have to remember, children right up to their teenage years are very pure, usually very innocent, very open. And spirit will target them. Why? Because usually if a child hears a spirit voice or something, they respond to them. And they will try to communicate back and forth, and the child will usually go back and forth. So therefore, they will they'll usually pick the easiest target if you will, to try to communicate with. And when I say target, I say that very lightly because it always doesn't mean that it's something on a negative level. Right. But that's a very common trait that they will always try to communicate through children. And then the next level is usually women, and guys are usually the last ones that they'll even attempt it. 
Okay, why are guys the last ones? Because we're all thick-headed. Okay, I, I buy that. <laughs> Stop to think about it. Each and every one of us are the same way. We don't see it. We can't touch it. Therefore, it doesn't exist. And we're able to block things out. We're very good at it. And women are more open and more sensitive, and they're going to pick up on a lot more, and kids are even more sensitive. Guys are just the type of... We hear it continuously where we don't want to accept something, therefore it doesn't exist, therefore we block it out of our minds until we experience something. And until we go through something, then we look at it differently and go, oh, okay, there might be something to all this stuff. It's a very common factor when uh, most guys deal with this stuff. But, I mean, so my response to that would be, it, it almost sounds like a generalization, and anybody who has any interest in, for example, physics, knows that, you know, you touch a, a, sur a, a tabletop and go, this is solid. Well, no, actually, it's mostly empty space. And anybody who has an understanding of physics knows that. And so, you know, or you, you study, for example, the electromagnetic spectrum, and then you look at, for example, the human visual system and mm -hmm. realize that the visual portion of the electromagnetic spectrum is this tiny, itty-bitty little slice of a huge amount of, of wave activity that, you know, basically tells you that, well, what you actually see is a minimal part of the reality that's actually happening around you. Right. I mean, a, a male scientist who's a physicist looks at that and understands it yeah, in the same way. How many males do you know that are? Well, it's funny. Uh, a lot of my <laughs> friends would fit into that category. Maybe I'm, I'm, I've been lucky in my choice of friends who are open-minded. You know, maybe that's the case. I, I have to qualify this. Most of my friends, my male friends, are not the kind of guys that sit and drink beers at sports bars. Mm -hmm. you know, most of them would not fall into that category. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's just the people I associate with. But, okay, let's get back to the topic of now you're in the home. There's an entity, and it's interacting with people there. Why is it doing that most of the time? Again, we're just let's just talk about generalizations here. What does the entity look to get out of this? Well, sometimes that's the uh, magical question. And sometimes we don't have the answers on why that particular spirit might be trying to communicate. You know, that's what we do our research for to try and find out. Sometimes we don't always get a clear-cut answer on why the haunting's taking place or why that spirit's trying to communicate. Was there unresolved business? Was the person murdered? Is there, you can look at that from a very open perspective of trying to understand why those things are occurring and sometimes we're fortunate enough we get the info and sometimes we don't. But sometimes you can get the hauntings to stop. And sometimes it could take certain individuals that come into play that can cause the haunting to actually totally cease, but that's far and few in between. Now you're assuming in each case here that the haunting is the result of some kind of life after death encounter. I don't rule out the fact, or I'm, honestly, I'll tell you, do I think that there's something out there? Absolutely. Is there another plane or atmosphere or a warp or whatever you want to call it? Those are all things that you cannot rule out. And there's way too much today that's occurred and happened that I keep a very open mind with all that stuff. So do I feel that there's some type of afterlife? Yeah. Or maybe a continued life. Could be. It could very, be that you go here and you progress through different dimensions. Every time you die, you go to the next dimension and you continue on, assuming you know about it. And, of course, that also creates the other thing here. Do the people who pass on, do they know that they passed on? I mean, they have to see their interaction with the people they knew has suddenly changed. Yeah, but here again, uh, a lot of people look at that from the perspective, those are the answers we're looking for. We don't really know. 
Now, if it was something we really know, boy, that would solve a lot of uh, issues for all of us. But do I feel, and I'm Roman Catholic, a practicing Roman Catholic, and we're not supposed to believe in reincarnation, but guess what? I don't rule it out. There's way too many scenarios and too many different things that I keep, you know, that open mind to and seeing things and experiencing a lot of these different things and hearing some of the situations that people have gone through, there's no way that I can rule it out. And I noticed, John, you use the term, you know, an open mind a lot. And I, I understand that and I appreciate that. The two things I'd say, though, of course, there's the old saying, you don't want to have a, your mind so open that your brain falls out, which, again, not to be facetious, but I think that, that that's an important thing. Also getting to the point, though, where if you're doing research, and you've been doing research for a long time, I understand that, you know, in a lot of cases, you don't come to an understanding of why was the entity here? Why was it interacting with people? But the flip side of that is that I assume that there are a number of cases where you do come to a conclusion about that. And if you tabulate that, it's got to tell you something about what the nature of this phenomenon actually is. Exactly. So, and but you know, like I said, it's one of those types of situations. Yeah, we're getting all the information. Did we resolve a case? Okay, let's say Aunt Betty was hanging around because they didn't follow through on what she wanted done when she, you know, when she passed away. Mm-hmm. So and so didn't get this, or they didn't follow through what was in the will, or something. And the haunting kicks up, and it's really severe. And she was a tough old lady, and nobody liked the monkey with her or anything. And she's causing the haunting, and. She's really kicked at all these things are happening. And we get involved with it. We're doing our investigation. We're doing our case. And we can walk away with some of the information that's resolving some of the situations. This is where I'm saying I keep that open mind with the fact, all right, this information came through. The spirit was definitely communicating with us. You know, again, you know, could it be a trickster or something like that? Anything is possible. You can't rule nothing out. But here again, you're walking away where something was resolved and the haunting stops. That tells you you're dealing with some type of energy that had an intelligence and we were able to resolve the situation. What information has been gleaned from these entities about the nature of the afterlife? Very little. Very, very little. That is something that I, I I go crazy trying to get some of that information, so to speak, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because we all get these different stories and these different theories from people about, you know, it's supposed to be this big, golden, cloudy place where everybody goes, and other people talk about it just being this blissful place. And the other things that you do hear is that, okay, people went to hell, there's brimstone and fire, and all these, you know, really negative type things. Now, this is all information that's been recorded, has come through from uh, different people and different things like that. But again, we have to keep that open mind. We know there's a negative perspective and we know there's a positive. And do I think there's going to be a big fluffy cloud or something like that that we're going to lay on when we're out of here? I don't know. I really don't have the answer to that. Somehow I, I, think, I doubt that. Yeah, somehow I doubt it. What kind of hits you know, me when you talk about this, though, is maybe people are seeing the afterlife they expect to see. Right? Well, here again, power of suggestion. You know, that's a very common thing, and that's what we're perceived. I mean, you know, here again, I'm going to go into an area where do I believe in the angelic, and do these things exist? Absolutely. Do I think they're running around with these white long robes on and these big fluffy wings? No. No, but, but people perceive it that way, so therefore, that's how they accept it. 
does that perception translate to any kind of reality? This is where we come back to psychological projection. When we hear about the notion of hell, you know, you've got the, the, I guess, the religious version of hell, which actually, you know, in, in Judaism, we don't really have, I'm, I'm a Jew, I'm not a practicing Jew, though, but we don't really have the notion of hell that's described by other religions. It doesn't, we don't, we don't seem to have that for whatever reasons. But I... This is where my own intuition kicks in, I think. Is it that simple? I mean, is the nature of reality simple? And and ultimately, the more I learn about the nature of reality, the more I'm convinced that it's incredibly complex. When we talk about alternate dimensions, our current physics is just about the point where we're almost almost ready to prove the existence of alternate and concurrent dimensions along with what we perceive as dimensional reality. And there seems to be a pretty good basis, scientific basis, for that. At the same time, if we look back into the religious history of this planet and of human beings, it appears that, it appears that, we don't know this for sure, but it appears that there is a level of understanding of nature that has been lost to us because we went down this one specific path, scientific path, and that basically essentially made us ignore the spiritual side of things. And I think what we see now in our current situation is perhaps an attempt to reintegrate these two separate disciplines, the one of being the spiritual path, one being the scientific path. Do you perceive, John, there is a way to potentially reintegrate these things, to to acknowledge that our science is very useful, obviously. Our science has gotten us pretty far in terms of our control of our environment. But at the same time, our science is not absolute. There's so much we don't understand, and I think that certainly people who are honest and look at these topics realize that the more you know, the less you seem to really understand. No, that's why I always make the statement, been doing this for 36 years, and today I have more questions than when I started Right. You you look at all this, and, and you know it's mind-boggling on the perspectives and the way things are looked at, and it's really I don't know. It, to me, it gets more complex as time goes on. But I think we're getting you know a heck of a lot closer into what we're going to find out. I just don't know if any of us will be around when the answers come through. And when a lot of the information actually is into the forefront. Well, what's your opinion then about what you think we might discover? And we're not going to hold you to this because this is all gray area by definition. But, you know, you've got 30 some odd years of research into this. What what are some of the things that you're thinking are good possibilities? The good possibilities are the fact that I think we're going to, you know, come up with the the revelation of uh, the fact that there is some type of a supreme energy force or some type of whatever you want to call it, Buddha, God, whatever, that this does exist and that there are these areas that have been concealed and hidden, all this knowledge through a lot of the different religious authorities through the years. And I think it is something when a lot of that information does get released, I think people would have a better understanding of the perspectives of what we do and who we are. I mean, these are my theories. 
and it's the way that I look at it very openly. And mm-hmm. until the day comes when, you know, it can be proven out to me 100% that, you know, there is this area they call hell that's brimstone and fire, and there's this place with the fluffy cloud they call heaven, then I'll always keep that open mind at looking at the possibilities of different things and trying to understand them, how they integrate within our life structures. Hey, let me just do our break now. We're back with hour number two of the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney, longtime psychic researcher and ghost hunter, I guess we'll call him. John Zaffis joining us on hour number two. David, pick it up. John, one of the things that I've always been fascinated by is EVP, electronic voice phenomena, and the capturing of EVP data at haunted locations. Is this something that, that you've done personally? Have you have you used EVP in, in research work? I try very difficult. It's a very difficult thing on my end because I do not get them. And yeah. all the years that I've tried to get EVP, I, I have never walked away with one. Now, it's very frustrating and it's very aggravating. Why would that occur? Why does that happen? With certain individuals, we just don't get them. And I can work with other people, brand new people that go on investigations with me and they'll walk away with 20 or 30 EVPs. What I've learned to understand with electronic voice phenomena, I don't necessarily feel it has anything to do with the equipment. I think it has to do with the individuals using it. And I feel that there are certain people that spirit are more attracted to than other individuals, and they just luck out with getting some of these things. Really? Mm-hmm. So, what, see, but this brings us back to the projection issue. Now, yeah, but what's if, projection? Projection is energy. Right. But at well. the same time, well, if I'm in a, in a haunted situation and I bring out a recorder mm-hmm. and I start recording the environmental sound, mm-hmm. are you saying that in a situation, let's say, where you've got a research crew in and they're capturing EVP, is, this, is what you're saying that potentially one person holding the recorder is going to be able to get EVP data on tape? And in that same situation, someone else is holding the recorder and doesn't? It happens. It happens all the time. That's proven out. You can have certain people not necessarily holding the recorder. Mm -hmm. You can have, and I've tried this experiment several times just within my own organization. You put a certain group of people together, and you're not going to get any EVPs. You add certain people into that equation, and you will get EVP. Here again, the, the factor of certain energies combining with certain people, is it projecting? Is that certain person picking up on things? Why does certain spirit choose to communicate with in, certain individuals and not other ones? Here again, that's one of those great mysteries that we're all trying to figure out. Why, did this, why does this occur? Why does it happen this way where, you know, okay, fine, I'm there. You know, does a ghost recognize John? I don't know. But they might recognize or pick up on a certain person's energy, and then a communication can be established. These are the the complex things that I think each and every one of us have tried, you know, numerously time after time to figure out why it occurs and why it happens with certain individuals and then other individuals it doesn't happen with. 
Would that also imply that maybe the event is partly generated by the individual in question? That's what I mean by projection. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do feel that projection can, here again, with the energy, and it has an intelligence to it, is the other energies associated with the haunting that you're investigating, and these other individuals have that certain energy field about them where these things are combining, and that's why, okay, you know, you have several people that got EVP and several other people that have gone to the same location and never walked away with any EVPs. Why do these things occur? Why do they happen? Is some of the mysteries that each and every one of us are trying to figure out. Well, let's step back from that moment. You have, and and again, just in terms of sort of logic here, you have, I can completely understand that you have a haunted location. One team goes there one day, they capture EVPs. Next day, next week, another team goes there, same equipment, they don't capture EVPs. That's completely understandable. You, You wouldn't expect to always have this interaction going on, but I'm talking about a situation where you have haunted house, two recorders, two different people. And I'm, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm questioning if this has ever been done, that you have two people, two voice recorders, same room. One recorder picks up EVPs, the other doesn't. Do you know if this has ever been done? Absolutely. Each and every organization that I've ever worked with has, has done this continuously. Most of us all still do it today where, again, certain people get them. Certain people don't get them. Different recorders, different circumstances. It's bizarre on how these communications occur and how they happen. Okay. And we don't have any scientific proof on why this actually occurs or happens. But time and time again, I, I know many organizations, including my own, that have done these tests with this to see what the end results are going to be. And here again, it's very random. There's certain people that get them. There's certain people that just don't, different recorders. You know, we've even tried it with video camcorders with different people using them to see if there was going to be any difference with EVP recording on them in comparison to little, uh, you know, recorders. And sometimes the results will change on that also. But then again... It depends a lot of times with the mixture of certain people. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer in, too, I've seen certain people walk into haunted locations, and you can have a whole, you know, entourage of people there doing investigations, and I mean, this one person can walk in and all the activity stops. Why does that occur? Why does that happen? In your organization, is there any sort of a set of technical standards? For example, let's say you've got a, a group going out. In your organization, is there a specific set of procedures, are, actually I don't want to say procedures, technical standards, for example. On Ghost Hunters, I've noticed that the voice recorders they use are relatively very low-end uh, transcription recorders. They're, they're literally voice recorders with very limited frequency range and frequency response. And I've always wondered about that. Why don't they use higher quality, wider frequency response devices and is there any kind of a standard for that? So, it, and, and I understand that when you have organizations, one of the reasons to have an organization is actually to create some sort of standardized procedures in as much as that's even possible, but certainly in terms of equipment specifications. I, I would think that there would be some idea of, okay, if you're going to go out and you're going to capture EVPs, 
try to use, for example, a voice recorder that's got what I would call a high-fidelity frequency response, let's say 20 to 20,000 kilohertz, versus, let's say, these voice recorders that, again, they're really designed just for people who are talking into them for that, for that speech to be transcribed into text. So the frequency response is very, very limited. Does your organization have any set of technical standards that it adheres to along these lines? As far as what type of equipment yeah. that will be used, absolutely not. Hmm. And I would never agree to something like that because okay. here again, you have different pieces of equipment. We're always trying different tape recorders, different thermometers. There are, there are such a wide variety of different techniques and different things that people bring to the table with equipment. And then again, too, you have to remember, most people are very limited on what they can afford to buy as far as equipment goes. I mean, it's, it can become very costly. So to set a standard, I think, would limitate uh, a lot of people doing things. Hmm. That's my opinion. Okay. All right. Do you feel that, well, I mean, in that case, I think the problem then is that I mean, sort of what I'm hearing here is that there's no way to really deploy any kind of measuring standards to any of this. And, and I, personally, I find that frustrating because one of the things, um, certainly, for example, in, in doing research and evaluating photographic imagery in the realm of UFO research, this is something that I have a very deep personal interest in it. And at this point now, I've, I've behind the scenes and in some cases in front of the scenes helped a number of researchers and organizations in evaluating photographic evidence of UFOs. Now, you have, for example, at this point in time, a program called Photoshop, which has become a verb, in fact, for doing image analysis and image manipulation. And using something like Photoshop, one can look at an image and actually come to some understanding of what the image is really portraying based on a certain level of technical understanding of how to do image analysis. Now, here's the thing. Anybody can go out and buy a copy of Photoshop, and so you, you can bring that to the table, but it requires a certain level of expertise in knowing how to use Photoshop in order to essentially cut away the noise and get to signal. And I'm using that in a in both a figurative and a literal sense. Because today, for example, with photographic evidence, it's very hard to say that something is definitively genuine or not because of the fact that programs like Photoshop have made it very easy to fabricate false images. For example, in looking at things like the realm of ghost investigations, you see a lot of images. And for example, one thing that comes up constantly are orbs. And uh, I've seen a lot of orb photographs. And at this point, 99.9% .9 of them are clearly artifacts that are easily explained. There is that 0.1% that is genuinely interesting that you can't just explain away. But the point here, John, is that there are certain types of technical procedures in analyzing photographs that do allow you effectively to... You know, maybe you don't know what something is, but what you do is you, you figure out what something isn't. And so when we talk about, for example, doing research into haunted homes and haunted structures, you know, if you're capturing EVPs with all sorts of gear, well, some gear is going to have more of a likelihood of, of picking up crosstalk or RF noise 
than mm-hmm. other pieces of gear. So, for example, in the, in the discussion of like what recorders, maybe you don't tell people what recorders to use, but maybe at that same in that same vein, you've discovered that certain recorders, well, they pick up too much ambient noise, or Absolutely. maybe they don't pick up enough ambient noise. So, what you do is you say to people, okay, we know that certain pieces of gear don't work for this kind of stuff. And so, you know, again, the point being that if you're going to try to create any kind of scientific standard at all, and I'm not saying that that's even possible, but what you try to do is move in that direction. And so, again, you know, if, for example, you guys go out and you shoot video, right? You take images, you take photographs, and you look at them after the fact. In the organization, is there someone designated as the expert in these areas. This is something that you guys look for when bringing new members in. You're in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietney. We're talking about psychic research with veteran investigator John Zaffis. Okay, John, what about those standards? Absolutely. Uh, I don't believe that there's very many established organizations that each and every one of us doesn't have somebody that looks at our evidence and rules out for any logical type of phenomena, just like with the tape recorders. There are certain ones that people aren't going to use because you can prove that out, but it's not a set standard. It's the same thing with uh, psychic photography, with Photoshop. I mean, you can create anything today. And you can debunk anything today. So those are all common factor things that everybody knows that's out in the paranormal field. These aren't anything new that's, you know, coming to the forefront. But I think each and every organization, like I said, especially your established ones, I mean, you have certain people that, you know, scrutinize the EVP running it through the programs. Here again, there's several within my group with the psychic photography. I mean, each and everybody looks at these things and presents their findings, and can things be debunked? Absolutely. Sure. Well, you know, that's sort of the whole point, is that you try to, and and by the way, you know, here's the thing. I've looked at photographs, analyzed them very carefully, and ultimately, you have a photograph that you can determine with some degree of certainty is not fabricated, is not computer graphics, is not a, I'm thinking specifically with UFOs, not a model shot in, in camera. You've got something that's actually at a distance from the camera, that's being affected by atmospheric density, that has not been retouched. At that point, what do you have? Well, you have a photograph of an unidentified flying object. The photo doesn't tell you anything about what it really is, where it comes from, who's in it, what the purpose is. The photograph tells you None of that. All it tells you is that this is something that is not a piece of our current technology. And that's all you can arrive at. And ultimately, you don't get a definitive answer. All you do is you can simply say, okay, we have a photograph here that we know is not something in our normal realm of experience. And so when you go to the to your field, you go to looking at potentially haunted homes or haunted structures, you get a piece of video evidence or a photograph that you know, okay, this was not a reflection of something. This was not fabricated. It was not retouched. It was not manipulated. But ultimately, you know, what does it really, what do you really have at the end? A photograph of something that's unexplained. And and for a lot of people, it's very disconcerting to realize that that is indeed the limitation of photographic and video analysis. But the reason I bring this up with you, John, is that 
as I said, I'm a fan of the Ghost Hunters show, and there are times when I have seen them shoot video, and, and it makes me a little crazy because I am an imaging expert. I am a video effects expert, and I'll, I'll see on the show a piece of video shot, and it's presented in a way that it hasn't been manipulated or analyzed at all. It basically put forward as, here's the straight video. And it makes me wonder, well, wait a minute, are they actually like working with any imaging or video analysis experts? Because, and, and this is where, I won't say standardization, but the pooling of resources, let's say between different groups, would be a really great thing. And certainly in the realm of UFO research, you have names like Dr. Bruce McAbee, who is really, in my opinion, one of the most capable and intelligent image analysis. This is a guy who does optical physics for the government, for the military. And at the same time, he's put his name on the line as someone who also does serious evaluation of UFO photos. And he's been able to debunk a lot of photos, but then there are other photos where he says, look, we know for sure that this is an object that was in the sky that is not one of ours. That's what we know. Is there such an equivalent person in the realm of haunting investigation? I'm just curious. You got me lost on this whole thing. <laughs> I'm wondering. I mean, you're going so freaking deep here. I mean, we're talking about evidence. We're talking about a lot of things that have been brought into the forefront mm -hmm. with psychic photography, EVPs, hauntings, and UFOlogy and everything. And basically, you're wanting something that's going to be hardcore proof right now in 2008 proving to each and every person out there that the paranormal exists. Am I correct in understanding what you're asking? No. No, I'm, I'm actually wondering if in the realm of haunting investigation, there is a go-to person for doing analysis of photographic and video evidence. That's what I'm really asking. Is there Because in the UFO realm, we do have a go-to person like that. Is there someone that the different paranormal investigation groups go to as a person who can definitively say, all right, this is proof? No, there's no proof of anything. But what we're talking about is someone who can look at an image or look at a piece of video and say, all right, I can tell you based on my own professional expertise that this has not been fabricated, this has not been hoaxed. I think, this just, about, I think just about each and every group, is there one catalyst yeah. in the field? No, there's several people that I do deal with that if I'm questioning something, I wouldn't think twice of sending it to them and asking their opinion. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have two people within my group I do that with and several other groups, and I think we all intermingle with doing that. But, I mean, is there one person, per se, within the paranormal field of hauntings? Right. Not to my knowledge, no. Well, that's what I'm curious about. Because, again, in, UFO, in the UFO realm, there is such a guy, and he often gets into a bit of hot water because he's accused very often of being a disinformation agent because he does work for the government. Mm -hmm. And it's just an it's an interesting thing that I think has actually increased his credibility because he's willing to put his name and reputation on the line mm -hmm. um, in evaluating UFO photographs. So it seems to me like maybe perhaps this is something that the haunting research field should look into. Well, I think it's, it's being looked into here again. You have to remember, just like with UFOlogy, paranormal hauntings and everything like that, it's very controversial between group to group and organization right. to organization. And 
I think we're a lot closer today to people working and integrating with each other than I've seen in the past. Well, I think that's a good thing. I think to me, believe it or not, it's a positive thing. Now, something we haven't brought up is that one of the, I'm guessing, one of the key influential uh, set of people who have made you interested in this are Ed and Lorraine Warren. Could you tell us a little bit about who they are in your life and, and what influence they've had on you? in your interest in the topic? A tremendous amount. And I look at it probably a lot differently with the perspective of uh, working with them, the downtime and the knowledge base and the exposure to a lot of the different things. 36 years ago, and when they started out, I mean, you know, they relied on basic, basic ways of determining. And they went a lot on their faith. So therefore... Looking at the, the structure and the exposure of a lot of the different things that I would just hear them randomly throw out in different things that I use today and seeing different things that have been proving out scientifically, it's intriguing because you watch these things. And it, it was a whole different world for them when they did paranormal investigating in comparison to what's happening today with the scientific agenda, which is phenomenal. So I look at that very open-mindedly and try to understand a lot of the concepts and some of the different things that have been proven or disproven as far as, you know, that exposure and being intertwined so much with the religious perspective behind the scenes and everything. It's, it's a whole different world. I, I'm just trying to think of a way I can explain that to you in comprehending what I grew up with and how my views have changed and what I've been open to to trying to realize what to look for from a spiritual perspective and from a scientific perspective, if that makes sense to you. It does. Now, do you feel that Ed and Lorraine perhaps looked at this in a balanced way uh, from the religious and scientific perspective or did they sort of skew more towards the religious perspective, and how did that impact their findings about this stuff? In the beginning, I would say they went more from the religious values. Mm -hmm. Towards, you know, the latter years, especially with Ed, with EVPs, he would scrutinize those. He would sometimes sit down and listen to them. I would sit and listen, and we would go back and forth. But you have to remember... Technology was very limited and the, the amount of exposure, but he would listen to the different things and he would always try to rule out a lot of the things and watching the progression and understanding some of the things that he would try to figure out and incorporate from what we refer to now as a scientific approach. He would just be looking for logical things to be able to rule them out. And today we look at it from a scientific approach compared to just the plain logic. Okay, well, let me ask you that, then. Let's separate this. From okay. logic to the scientific approach, what differences do you see? Here again on the equipment, like we were talking about earlier, uh, some of the things, you know, looking for the um, the hot spots in the houses, the electrical, the, the cold spots and things like that. We're able to scientifically prove out different things today where years ago we would all look at it so differently. Okay, so now 
What can we scientifically prove today about the presence of ghosts and or life after death? That we definitely know that there is, you're looking for, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out a way to answer this for you. Mm-hmm. You're looking for something that none of us have an exact 100% proof of it from a scientific approach. Can I look at things from the perspective that we're closer than we ever were before? Yes. Do I feel that there's an existence at whatever plane you want to call it or whatever existence it is? There's just so much out there that we don't understand. We're thrilled that you're listening to this archived episode of the Paracast. If you want to hear the latest shows, click on over to www.theparacast.com. You can also join in on the most intelligent and dynamic discussions on our forums regarding all of the topics we discuss on the Paracast. So remember, www.theparacast.com. We'll see you there soon. You're listening to No Lies Radio, coming to you 24-7 from the San Francisco Bay Area, north of Berkeley. Your radio station for the truth, peace, justice, freedom, and more power to the people. You're in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We have another 33, 34 minutes to spend with John Zaffis, longtime psychic researcher. We're probing mostly into life after death, ghosts, etc., etc. Okay, so part of the problem with scientific research for any of this stuff is repeatability. You know, you can't recreate a ghost experience, or can you? Oh, I, I wish we can. I wish we could. Boy, would that answer so much for us. Sure would, yes. <laughs> oh, boy, that, I'd walk a thousand miles to be, to be able to witness that, to be able to have the repeatability of recreating that. I mean, we do know scientifically today, you know, you can harness energy, but you can't always get it to recreate. And I think that's one of the biggest stumbling blocks if we could break through that. And if it's able to happen... I would really like to be witness to it. But, you know, we're, we deal so much with theory, and we deal so much with trying to prove these things out today that I think that's a phenomenal thing. You know, it, it's the best way I can describe it to you. Do we have a clear-cut scientific baseline for paranormal investigating hauntings, ghosts? No, we don't have that today. We're getting closer. It's being worked on. I know a lot of people out there today, you know, from that perspective that, you know, they're working diligently to be able to prove these things out. We're just not there yet. Do you feel that, for example, in doing research when you're using things like EMF detectors, do you feel that there's enough care taken in appropriate use of technology, because certainly, and not to get back to technology, but we're a technological species, and our technology is better than it's ever been. Thank goodness for that. One of the things I I've agree. always <laughs> right. So, one of the things I've always wondered about, though, and, and one of the things I like about when I watch Ghost Hunters, is that these these guys do have an understanding of just pipes and plumbing. Now, you know, I think that a lot of people don't appreciate the fact that that gives them a little bit of a of a handle and an advantage in going into a place and, you know, looking for weird sounds. And I've seen episodes where 
they've been able to quickly come to the understanding of where certain weird sounds are generated from. And that's because of their understanding of how pipes work and how you know, water moves around in a house. So that, that's very useful. At the same time, anybody who looks at this stuff and, again, has this sort of a basic understanding of physics will look at the use of EMF meters and say, well, gee, it's not like they're using these things inside of a Faraday cage. It's very possible that when you're using an EMF meter out in the field, that you're literally picking up things that are natural but not part of what you would expect to find. And, um, you know, the case of, you know, for example, certain homes being de- being located on top of certain types of mineral deposits and metal deposits, that's going to actually create an effect on how the EMF meter reads the environment. And And I think that when we have a scientific baseline, it's important to, you know, that concept, we have to differentiate scientific baseline of actually trying to understand these phenomena on a meta level, which is, I, I don't know if it's possible or not, but at the same time, scientific understanding of how certain types of scientific devices work and technology works and making sure that these things are adhered to. So it's really interesting to see, for example, things like severe, tem- I think almost temperature changes are a much more useful way of gauging something going on in an environment versus, for example, EMF readings. I agree 100% with you. Yeah, that can be affected by a lot of things. Absolutely. Um, So in in the work that you've done, John, are there certain techniques maybe that you have found, I won't say are less useful, but are less useful than others? I mean, what? so you go into a space and, and there's supposedly activity going on. What do you hope to walk away from in terms of, I mean, let me rephrase this. What kind of information do you guys ultimately seek? What kind of physical, I won't say physical evidence, but physical manifestations do you look for, and how do you quantify and qualify them? Does that make sense? It it makes sense, but you're not always going to walk away from an investigation with that. Mm -hmm. Okay? So one of the key things is the temperature change. That I like. My whole group is real big into that, and that that's one of the key things. But with EMF, you got to be so careful. I mean, some people, I'll watch them, and they'll put them near computers. and you know, oh, Yeah, forget some, it. It's some some like, of the things that I do see people do, you know, it's very scary. It's very scary. And, you know, they'll basically say, well, that's where the ghost or the energy is, and I'll just stand there mortified at watching some of these things that do right. occur. Well, that's what but, a computer you know, is, guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've you got to rule out your logic. You have to look for logical explanations why these things are occurring. Is there a bunch of wires up overhead or, you know, you're near a tower or something? The mineral deposit, you know, that is something that I look very hard and deep into because when you have the mineral deposits or you have quartz or anything, we know these Mm -hmm. things are conductors of energy. And we know we're going to have high energy readings no matter what you're doing in those areas. But here again, are we dealing with just the energy, you know, of the earth? Are we dealing with a combination of several different things? These are all the million-dollar questions, aren't they? Hmm. We really don't have a clear-cut answer. But we do know, and that's been proven now, and that's very well documented today, anywhere where there's line deposits or quartz or, you know, different types of things, we got high activity in those areas. And a lot of different things occur, and a lot of things happen, And but you've got to take into consideration what is the catalyst, is these different types of energies intermingling 
or is it something separate that can be proven out somewhere in the future? That is exactly why it is occurring and why it's happening. I think those are the things that people are striving for in our field. Hey, you know, let me ask you a question here. We're also going to, before we leave, let you maybe tell us a few compelling ghost stories. And that is, and this is maybe the area that we've covered in other discussions, deception. Okay, and so you mentioned earlier maybe demonic possession or demonic experiences could also. That could be possibly a little bit of a, an exception here. But what if the whole thing is maybe the people who are experiencing these things somehow creating their own self-deceptions? Okay. Can it be a situation where something is being deceived and it's occurring on a negative level? You've got to take a lot into consideration when you're dealing with that. Do I feel the energy or the deception with an individual? Because people are catalysts within hauntings, whether positive or negative, can be bringing through the influences on their end and combining it with the paranormal. And we might be dealing with, you know, spirit or whatever you want to call it, different types of energies. And these different things can intermingle and be combined is something that I continuously look at and try to understand. Because the human factor, you always have to take that into consideration when dealing with any type of a haunting. So I, I keep an open mind when dealing with these things. But the one thing you'll always hear me go right back to is that when we're dealing with these influences, whether you know we're dealing with a, a mortal person, a physical person, or something within the spiritual realm, and you deal with these different types of intelligences, that combined and come together, that's what I look for when I'm dealing with a haunting. What would be, in, in all of your years, uh, John, what can you think of as the most extreme haunting situation you've ever looked into? Can you give some details about it? That would be about uh, 20 years ago, and that was a, a haunted funeral power. And that's mm. where I've seen a, a full manifestation. And to this day, I still can't tell you exactly what it was or, you know, the too many details about it because I still don't know. As all I know is it fully formed and it was transparent, murky, and it just descended down the staircase. And in 20 years since that's occurred, I've never had anything fully manifest with in front of me to that degree and actually approach me. And I was wide awake. I knew what was happening. Unfortunately, 20 years ago, we didn't have anywhere near the equipment we have today. So there's very limited documentation on what that experience was. But that made me look at something and understand it that here again, something approached my life and entered my life that I could not explain. I could not tell you exactly what its intent and purpose was with me at that point in time. But it was a very severe haunting. It was a very trying period when I was learning the basics of the negative aspect that this thing had occurred and this thing happened with me. So you felt this was a malevolent force? Oh, absolutely. There was no, there was no doubt in my mind. Okay, 20 years ago, no can, you, can you tell us where this happened? In a house or what? Yeah, it was in a home. It was in Southington, Connecticut. It was converted old funeral parlor. And it was a severe haunting. 
that transpired, and there's no doubt in my mind that we were dealing with things on a negative level that were on a higher level than your normal average type haunting. So the people who were running this funeral home had been having a good amount of activity that they also felt was malevolent as well? Well, it was a prior funeral home. It was an abandoned building. A, purchase, a person purchased it, I'll turn and, it into a home. And, and they converted it into a home. I see. Okay. Do I think all funeral parlors are haunted? No. No. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I hear this all the time. They think because people are laid out there and stuff like that that they should be haunted. And nine out of ten funeral parlors are not haunted. Okay, that's another point then. What is the most common location? The home? Maybe the home the person lived in before they died? No, the most common is I'll find sacrificial places, uh, battlefields, places that have been given a, a tremendous amount of tragedy or a tremendous amount of uh, recognition because I'm a firm believer in the law of recognition and attraction can and will cause hauntings to actually have a tremendous amount of activity occurring on that piece of property or building or what have you. Mm -hmm. You know, along those lines, John, I've always said, well, since we started the show, that if one assumes that those are accurate gauges of, of potential for haunting, that Ground Zero in Lower Manhattan is going to end up being one of the most haunted places in the world, given what happened there that day in 9-11. Here again, I'm so close to it, I'm only 40 minutes away from it. Yeah. Is it I, I have never had an interest in investigating that place. My personal opinion is I couldn't disagree. I guess we'll find out once those buildings are up there. But personally, yeah. I feel they should just fill that in with dirt, plant trees there, and just leave that piece of property alone. I completely, absolutely concur with you, John. I, I think that building towers there again is just the worst possible idea that could ever be implemented. I'm I'm a hundred percent with you on that. And, and I mean, it's by a target. Way, it, it's a target. Absolutely. I mean, and you know, you want to go up there. I mean, yeah. that's what I that's what I don't understand. I wouldn't. I, I mean, I'd be petrified to even go into buildings. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and absolutely. it's got nothing to do with the paranormal. <laughs> no, I know. I'm with you hundred percent. I, I certainly think going in tall buildings is not what I want to do. I, t I told you, I guess most of you listeners, that about six weeks before nine eleven, I was in the world. Trade Center for a family trip, my wife, myself, my son, and I couldn't go up the last escalator to the very top. Couldn't do it. I felt this horrible feeling of dread, and I just stayed down at a lower level until the rest of my family had seen their fill. And I just was so anxious to leave that place. Incredibly anxious. Now, you know something? Let me share this with you. Okay. Now, I was in there, I think it was two weeks prior. You, you just gave me the chills. I was in there two weeks prior. It was the same. We had a, a few relatives that were in from out of town and took them into Manhattan. And I did not want to go up to the top, and I didn't go. Now, that is freaky. That's and weird. they kept saying, well, John, come on, come on. I go, no, I just don't have an interest in going up there. I said, I just don't want to go up there. I said, I have no reason to go up there. And it was bizarre because we had come back, and um, my wife wasn't with us that day. And it was her relatives. but And she said, well, everybody said you didn't want to go up there. I said, hon, I don't know what it was. I said, I had a weird feeling in, that, in those, that building we were in. And I've never talked about this. That's weird. Hmm, it's interesting. You're in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. Psychic investigator John Zaffis joining us. We have another ooh, 20 minutes or so left. John, you have some books that our listeners could read about more of the things that you do? Yes, actually, Shadows of the Dark, 
That's been out for a couple of years now. That's available on Amazon.com. Um, I'm working right now. We just found out that Llewellyn will be publishing the funeral parlor story I was just talking about. That will be called The Haunting in Connecticut. That should be out in the latter part of 2008. And also I have the Paranormal Museum here in Connecticut, and I'm doing several books on the haunted possessions they will be the first book will be called possessed possessions and that will be going into a lot of the different items and the stories that uh, intrigue people. <laughs> this paranormal museum is someplace we can go visit. Um, it's a, a private museum that I have here at my home and I do do it by appointment only. I do small groups of 10 and take everybody through and share all the whacked-out stories of haunted items. <laughs> do whacked-out things occur there? No. Go ahead. Draw the next question. <laughs> well, no. What kind of – tell us about some of the items. Listen, I'm down in New York, so uh, I'm pretty close. Tell me – tell us about what kind of weird items you have there. Oh, gosh, you name it. Dolls, haunted clothing, haunted furniture, a lot of different items used in different types of rituals, different things that – have been removed from cases or investigations or antique stores, you name it. So over the past 30-some-odd years, I've had quite a big collection of things that I've removed from cases or things that have been sent to me. I actually have a full website on the uh, John's Office Paranormal Museum. All right, we have to send you there, David. I think I'm going to have to go through my girlfriend. Yes, send you and Susan up there and bring your tape recorders and all your equipment and show us something that we can do a visual presentation on the, on our site. You know? So, John, you told us about this malevolent entity that mm -hmm. you saw at this um, home that was a funeral parlor. Now let's go to the other extreme, benevolent entities. What case can you think of, of the ones you've researched, that was the clearest, if you have one, I'm not assuming you do, but that showed, for example, an interaction of a very high level of benevolence between an entity and, let's say, a family living in a home. Do you have a story along those lines? You want a real nice ghost story? Yeah. There was this very famous woman, and she had passed away. She was a pianist, and she lived here in Connecticut, and they had they, they lived on the state, in the state and everything. Well, she had passed away. The husband and the two children did not want to stay on the estate or live in the house. So they decided they were, the husband decided he was going to put the property up for sale. Well, he did, and shortly after doing that, he had a major haunting that broke out in the house. And the key factor was the piano would keep playing. And it would play a lot of different songs. There was one song that would continuously play that was his favorite that his wife would play for him. Well, he got totally freaked out and spooked and everything like that. And we got involved with the investigation and everything. Come to find out, he decided to put the entire estate up for sale with all of its contents, including her personal piano. Mm -hmm. Well, we sat down, we talked to him and everything and explained everything to him, and he just didn't have a clear understanding of what personal things meant to her and that he really shouldn't sell those items off. He should actually keep them for the children and things like that. And the haunting actually stopped. Mm. And it just totally stopped right after that because he made a decision at that point in time he wasn't going to get rid of all the contents within the house. So here again, is this a type of situation where she was just trying to communicate to him not to liquidate all the personal family assets and things like that and to keep them? Yes, I do believe that 
that was the intent and that was the purpose. And actually, we tried to record, or he tried to record, some of the times that the piano was playing, but it never recorded on the tape recorder. He could never get it to tape. Hmm. But here again, it was something that resolved, and it actually was something that was a beautiful story because the oldest daughter wanted her mom's piano, but she never said anything to her father until we were there and were able to bring all this to the forefront and uh, basically get that information out there and it was able to cause closure for that spirit I actually believe to cross over. Okay, now when you tried to record it, did you get any background noise or was it just silence or what? We just did one initial investigation on that case, but he tried several times with tape recorder. He would put it on the piano in the room. There was never anything. I mean, you would hear footsteps, you would hear him talking, his announcements and different things like that, but never actually recorded the piano playing, did this, which would have been phenomenal. Sure, did this did. recorder have some kind of sound level meter or light to show? It was just a very basic little recorder oh, that the okay. guy had. Nothing, you know, to what we have, you know what I mean? No way to it measure was, the sound level or right. changes, sure. Yeah, there, there's a lot of human ghost stories that are, you know, beautiful stories and different things that you're able to help bring closure to and things that, you know, help people. And it's just that today people aren't really interested in hearing the good, beautiful ghost stories. Everybody wants to hear about the negative stuff. <laughs> Maybe that helps what, bring what, apart what more negative stuff, case. yeah. Well, yeah, I wonder why, why is that, John? People are more intrigued. No one wants to hear about Antilles Ring. <laughs> they they just don't want to hear those types of things. But you start talking about a haunted item or a person possibly being possessed or devils or demons and the house levitating and crap like that, people jump right into that. They want to hear all about that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it's uh, the nature, I think, of the work. People are very intrigued about the darkest part of paranormal investigating and doing the demonology end of it and, and dealing with the negative end of it is such a mysterious world to so many different people that I think that's why it intrigues people to the degree that it is. Ultimately, it, it doesn't say a good thing about base human nature, sadly. And I, and I wonder... No, it doesn't. I mean, that They'd rather have the exorcisms than, of course, the happy experiences, if there are any. Oh, there, there, there are. There, there's so many, you know, situations and so many different cases. Uh, another story, another one that's a beautiful one. The husband and wife, they were married, I don't know, 70-some-odd years. The guy, uh, he had passed away, and the following February, and it was winter, there was a big, uh, it was Valentine's Day, and there was a big heart that was actually in the snow, in the ground. It was like the, the snow melted away. And the one big thing with that was the fact that there was some personal item of his that was right in the middle of that. So, I mean, you know, you, you have some of the most beautiful stories and some of the most intriguing paranormal experiences that, that are beautiful things, but most people just don't like to hear them. Well, that also brings back the other issues we've talked about. So maybe we see more negative things happening because there is a demand for them. Fulfilling this wish? It's unfortunately the way I look at this is the law of recognition and attraction. People have a strong curiosity for the negative, and there's a lot more recognition given to the aspect of the negative perspective of it than anything else. And I think that's why there's such a increase to the fact of what we're seeing on the, on a negative level 
with so many aspects of the paranormal investigating. That also brings us to another issue here, and that is, of course, the skeptics. Okay, or the mm-hmm. nasty, noisy negativists, as someone says in another particular realm. But okay, here's the issue, and that is you have people who don't believe any of this stuff. It's nonsense. It's your imagination, whatever. It's a fake. What mm-hmm. do you tell these people? What can you show these people to convince them that something real is going on? I can't show them anything. I can't show them one thing. To the believer, we have an overabundance of information. To the non-believer and the skeptic, we'll never have enough proof. Well, yeah, their minds are, it's like that that issue of polarities. And, and, you know, I'm always hesitant about the term skeptic because skeptical thinking, I think, is essential. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a healthy way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, debunkers are people who basically have already made up their minds, just like the believers have already made up their minds. That's it. There's nothing you can do outside of potentially them having a personal experience. And if they have a personal experience, there's no guarantee they're going to be able to interpret that in a way that's going to lead them any closer to an actual understanding, again, that we don't know what these things are, but what we know is that we don't know what they are. People look yeah. for security. They, they want to think that you know their government protects them, that they understand everything about the nature of the universe, that their God is the right God. People don't want to live in limbo. And so, you know, whatever the convenient truth is, is the one they'll gravitate towards. Why? Because it's convenient and it's a truth. Is it and the that's truth? What we're taught. That's what we're taught. Exactly. So there again, I, you know, and I laugh at this because I used to get, you know, very upset. And I would always say, well, gee, how could you not believe in anything? You know, not nothing whatsoever. But watching people that are very debunkers or skeptics or whatever you want to call it, that's okay. Because to me, that's healthy. And that's a good way to look at things. But right. when you experience something and, and these people witness something and they still don't take the, the concept in and go, okay, there's something to all of this. And i got to take a, a wider approach or come outside my box and take a look at it. And they don't do that, then you're never really going to understand things and you're never going to grow in any perspective. Sure. Because sure. you're stuck inside your box, and therefore, to me, that's even more dangerous than anything else. We talk about but, a lot of the apparently real experiences, but through the years, over 30 years of psychic research, undoubtedly you've come across various and sundry fakes. Can you tell us one or two quick ones in the remaining time we have? <laughs> you know what? The, you know, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to chuckle, but the, the one thing that cracks me up is. You know, I've gone to locations to check out where they think these miraculous things are happening. The faces are appearing in trees or on side of buildings or, you know, and you go and you look at these things. And here again, you're looking at it and it's basically matrixing. But yet you have so many people praying and worshiping and setting up altars in all these places. And you find that really, do I think that it's something supernatural or paranormal? No. I look at these things as wide open as I possibly can to look for logical explanations on why certain things could happen or not happen. And do I go with an open mind when I go in to investigate? Absolutely, because you have to. We were dealing with this old woman, her granddaughter called us up. There was all kinds of ghosts running around in the house and everything. And we went to go do our investigation, and we're sitting there, and you hear all kinds of noise on the upper level of the house. It was an old, old house. And... You know, I says, well, definitely sounds like you got some type of activity going on up there. She goes, yeah, it's the ghost. And we went to open up the door to the second level. I came back and looked at her. I said, when was the last time you were up there? And she says, oh, about 20 years ago, with cobwebs and everything all around. We went up. We went up to the third level, and 
turned our flashlights on, and let me tell you, I've never seen so many bats in my life. You know, here again, the granddaughter and the, the, the grandmother were convinced that there were spirits in the house, but what had happened is that many bats had infiltrated within the house, and those were the ghosts. So, I mean, you always look for logical things, you know, from any perspective, I think, when dealing with this, whether it's human spirit or something on a negative level, I always try to look for the logical before I'm going to actually proceed and say we're dealing with something here that's probably paranormal. You think there'll ever come a time where the general public and the media say this is real, they stop laughing and joking when you mention ghosts and such? I'm hoping I'm around long enough to see it happen. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for. I think a lot of us are hoping for that. I know one of the latest polls that was taken, um, they said 75% of most people believe that there's something out there. They just don't know what it is. I think that's a fair assessment. But then, that's, as I said, there's a disconnect. It never seems to translate to the media. The individuals will have these feelings, and maybe they have experiences they don't talk about. And I see that also when you get into UFO investigations, where someone tells you about the thing in the sky, but they won't tell you about the abduction or about the ghost or about the other weird stuff that's going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. It's like that with a lot of things in different circles that I've been involved with where political people, doctors, lawyers, ministers, priests, rabbis, you name it, uh, that I've dealt with, and they'll only go so far with telling you what their experiences were because they don't want anybody looking down upon them. So they'll only go so far. But one-on-one -on -one in conversations with you, some of the stories these people will come out with were, you know, you just sit there and go, wow. That's just human nature. People don't want to be ostracized. They, right. they just, they don't want to be, they don't want to be made fun of. And anybody who even tries to talk about these topics is immediately uh, judged. And uh, certainly Gene and I have run to our own share of this in, in doing this show for the last year and a half. It's, or, or we're coming up on, on two years pretty soon. Amazing. It's amazing, but uh, you know, I, I, a lot of my friends don't know that I have this show with Gene and that we talk about these things, and they certainly don't know about my experiences. And uh, when you talk about this stuff publicly, uh, it, it usually the result is not positive, and and that's sad, and and it's frustrating. But at the same time, there are some of us who are trying to reach an understanding. Again, in, in as far as that's even possible, um, when you've been touched by these experiences, uh, how can you not wonder what's going on? I, I, I look at people who have these experiences and who don't want to deal with them uh, as being in a very severe form of denial. Uh, Here again, though, I find it more open today than, you know, the past two to three years, People, people's views... I think, you know, here again have changed a, a tremendous amount in regards to it. They might not believe in it, but they always want to hear about it. Mm -hmm. Hey, before we let you go, John, I just wanted to have you tell our listeners once again, where do they go to find out more information about the stuff you've written, about the stuff that you're doing with your ongoing research? Main ways to get a hold of me is just put johnzappis.com in. That will take you to my several websites, the museum one, the paranormal one, the research one, my private one, and I also have a MySpace page. And those are the easiest, quickest ways to get me. My telephone number's there. If you ever need me, feel free to give me a call. Mm. 
I was looking for your phone number. I didn't look there. I said I couldn't think that you would possibly have your phone number on your site, so I asked David to send it to me. And he says, no, it's on the site. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't expect that. John Zaffis, thank you so much for joining us on the Paracast. Well, thanks for having me on. It was a great show. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in the Paracast. You have been listening to PSI Saturday, Explorations in Paranormal Research. Today you heard Gene Steinberg and David Biedney of theparacast.com interview paranormal author and psychic researcher John Zaffis. Today's show was broadcast courtesy of theparacast.com and it is archived there. You can listen to the latest show from theparacast.com broadcast every Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, and on Mondays at 0200 hours GMT. Go to theparacast.com to listen. And be sure to join us next Saturday for another edition of PSI Saturday, Explorations in Paranormal Research, right here on No Lies Radio. PSI Saturday is broadcast every Saturday at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, and 0300 hours GMT Sunday. You are listening to NoLiesRadio.org, broadcasting 24 by 7 to the entire planet from the San Francisco Bay Area just north of Berkeley. The opinions expressed on this station are not necessarily the views of this station, its management, or its staff, but they are those of a growing number of American people who now realize that they have been lied to.